0: Out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Indeed, we are. Hello and welcome. This is The C86 Show. I'm David Storm. And I'm going to be with you... For the next 40 minutes, because, as you know, we love a good interview. This week is going to be the turn of the Vaseline's all the way from Scotland, because I spoke to one half of the combo. It is the amazing Francis McGee, who I spoke to and, um, yes, did the usual, you know. Went through the wonderful world that is music, talking about life, love, poetry, um, the interview, yes, yeah, so after several minutes of getting to know each other, as you do in the world of showbiz, and um, she probably thought I was a bit mad, actually, because I rambled on for quite a long period of time. We got down to the uh, interesting subject that was, um, yes, an interview that I did with Kirk Cobain back in 1989 at the Norwich Arts Centre when Nirvana was supporting TAD, and, um, and he mentioned one of his favourite bands. He mentioned... The Vaselines. and at the time I didn't know them. I know I've confessed, confessed it all now. I couldn't even Google. It was 1989. Anyway, um, I mentioned this to Frances, and this was her response: "Frances, save us all."
1: That's right. We didn't because I think by that time we had split up, and um, I wasn't into rock music at all. After that, I got really into the sort of new wave of dance music. So. I think even if any, and I think you, we had split up, and Eugene had contacted me and said, "Oh, there's this there's this rock band from uh, North America that wants they were playing in Edinburgh and they want us to support them." And, You know, I was like, "Well, oh, who are they?" And I'm not interested in rock music, kind of thing. So, had I only known what 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 way that the world was going to turn, I would have maybe paid a bit more attention to it at the time.
0: Yes, quite, actually. Because <clears throat> with the indie pop world, and I'm, I'm not sure that you particularly fitted into it, but I've put it down at sort of the years between 83 to 87, which was when the, basically it was the Smiths, wasn't it? Yeah. And, and most scenes, I've realised, have kind of like a period of time and then, and then they sort of move to the next thing. So yeah. obviously with the Vaseline's, you were sort of right there in the middle of that kind of... I suppose, the height of indie pop before it did change into people beginning to go into the dance scene. So what Mm -hmm. was the sort of the musical journey of the Vaseline's and how did it kind of form and come together?
1: Well, it's an interesting one, basically post-punk, I think, for both of us. Um, And, you know, things you mentioned there. things like that just didn't really interest me at all because anything that seemed remotely popular, I just got switched off by, so kind of more into um, more into sort of 60s bands, like obviously the Velvet Underground and the Chocolate Watch band and stuff like that really fascinated me, and The Doors, I really liked all that kind of stuff. Yes. And then, of course, New Order, which probably is that kind of bridge between um, indie and dance, I think, you know, because people really kind of start getting into to that, because New Order, obviously Joy Division um, had disbanded and whatever, but, you know, New Order did seem to have that new sound, uh, using more synthesizers and stuff like that. So that was always there. Um, and our sort of mutual love, more more of... Carry- on films, really the music, <laughs> which kind of came expressed in her in our um songwriting, so yes, yeah. well, we love
0: a bit of carry on actually
1: Oh, everyone loves a bit of carry on <laughs> the classic
0: kind of years and that classic cast.
1: <laughs> I, bought, I bought a box set of carry on films and made my children watch it, and they just didn't get it.
0: God, that's, that's quite <laughs> like shocking. they were quite
1: young at the time, so I might have to make them watch it again.
0: Yeah. Well, I've, I've sort of, yes, there's a few things that it's best not to go back to because they aren't that good, but actually Carry On films have got a sort of a complete charm to them. Um, oh, definitely. Which uh, is... Yeah. Which the is, early ones, anyway. Yes, well, yes, I the, the latter ones were a bit tricky, mm-hmm. actually. But I still say things like... I don't know I still find it's you know Camembert the big cheese and the whip it in still makes me laugh just thinking about it just Mm. such such great little yes jokes there's just so many of them because because going back to the kind of the musical front because most people who get a band together they they spend a bit of time just kind of hitting hitting things and making a sound but often often not really going that far or getting that far and then they get, you know, they get that kind of John Peel moment where, you know, if he plays something, it gives them that sort of boost. So did it take a while for you to, to create a sound that you started thinking, God, let's record this?
1: Um, well, we, first of all, never got a John Peel session, ever. As a Vaseline, so I did a circle, my, my, uh, my own band, much to Eugene's annoyance, I think. Um, but um, we just didn't, we didn't sit back and and we weren't musically gifted enough to think we could make a sound, you know, create a a specific sound. I, I think I've said in countless interviews, really could only play the rudiments of a guitar. In fact, I couldn't play the guitar when we started, but I really didn't want to be that girl in the band that just stood there and played the tambourine and, and sang vocals. I really had a very firm idea that that was not what I wanted to do. So that's what kind of um, encouraged me to 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 learn the guitar, I mean, and 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 that's what defined our sound because I could only play three chords. Yes. So if if if, and if we went beyond those three chords, I used to get really frustrated because it was so difficult for me. So quite often we were we were really just limited by by what we could do.
0: Yes, and. Um... And also, the other thing that I'd sort of come to sort of appreciate in a bizarre way is is because during that period, a lot of people that I spoke to also had that kind of, those years of being unemployed and thinking, I don't know what to that's do, right. so, so I'll just be, you know, claim unemployment benefit or the Job Seekers lands or the Enterprise lands, which was a kind, of a, a kind of a big one for a lot of people, because it gave it a, a year where you could just say, I'm going to be a musician and that's mm-hmm. fine, so just get off my case, man. And um, so did that kind of background and environment sort of have a sort of influence on, on sort of the Vaselines well, as well?
1: Both Eugene and I were very interested in drama and acting. And I, when I left school, I spent a year, I'd always been acting in, I was in the Dolphin Arts Centre drama group, and that's where I met Douglas and um, uh, Norman and and people like that. So, and and Eugene was doing his own sort of acting stuff, and I think both of us would have preferred to have gone on to be actors rather than musicians, because, I mean, neither of us could Really well. Certainly, I couldn't play a musical instrument. And didn't had been told at school I couldn't sing, so I didn't really think didn't have much ambition as far as music went. So I spent a year when I left school um, acting, and, and that's really what what gave me the time as well to to start delving into what we would become would become the Vaseline.
2: Yes. Um.
1: And at, at that juncture, I was getting housing benefit. Uh, Unemployment benefit. How unemployment benefit? Because I'd left home by then, and I was only seventeen, so um, you had you had a bit more time because you, I wasn't working full time or anything like that, and it was a year before I actually went to on to, to college. So yeah, in that year was probably the time that we that we took. So we, our our kind of interests really came from a dr- drama background to more than a which makes us sound very hoi polloi, but neither of us. We're both very, very working class people.
2: Yes. Um,
1: Families that didn't really know what we were about and didn't know what we were up to. I think if my family, if I ever said I want to be an actress, they would just be like, well, what are you thinking about that for? That's not going to earn you any money kind of thing. (laughs) And that was the same with the music. So that's what probably made me, in, in the end, go and do teacher training, which was probably not a good idea. I Even though I, I, I sustained four-year degree de course and seven years teaching. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> before I decided, fuck this, basically.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, God. Teaching used to be a career that people have for life, and now, you know, you just do it for a short period All of time. All the good
1: teachers leave, I have to say. Yes. It's a thankless a... task.
0: It is a bad one, isn't it? I know, but in the 70s, our teachers, I just thought that must have been, looking back, that must have been the cushiest job in the world because they just had such a nice time and they definitely wouldn't leave. I mean, it was really? just like they just sat there in the staff room smoking and looking and yeah. quite relaxed. Yeah. The staff room was quite a bizarre place because there was just this yeah. waft of smoke. You couldn't see through one side to the That's other. Right. But, um, I think that was just a, a,
1: a, it was just like a smoke screen, really, just yes. to keep you away from everyone else.
0: <laughs> and, then, and, and if they ever had to talk about exams, it was like, oh, you don't really want to worry about the exams. You're, 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 you're such a bunch of working class kids, you're all going to work in factories anyway, so don't...
2: Well, that's it, that's it, yeah.
0: <laughs> Which is quite odd. And were you intre- Were you aware? Because I realised, I mean, um, having interviewed so many bands from Scotland, there was... You know all the other kind of bands and labels that were about from 53rd and Third and Postcard Records, and then you had the Pastels and Joseph K. and the Jasmine Minx and the Orchids and BMX Bandits. I mean, you know, it it does have that kind of wow. There was just a lot of music happening, and I just wondered if you had been aware of those bands and sort of inspired by them as well.
1: Well, I knew obviously Douglas, Douglas and Norman and Sean and I had our, we were in a band together. If you could, it was just a collection of of people just kind of that's probably uh really when when I was in my drama group we, we did a musical and that's when I was actually told that I could sing and that I had a, a mezzo soprano voice. I remember being very, very tough with myself about that. And I got the part of Snoopy and Charlie Brown and um um and then and because I was friendly with Douglas and things so we, we just had this band and then then Douglas changed the name of the band and just thought, oh, this isn't really for me. And Eugene had been in a band with his friends from school and he's just not, he's just going to get a bit disheartened with it. And that's when we thought, well, we both quite like the idea of being in a band. Maybe we could do something together. So I was very aware of what was my contemporaries and obviously with Stephen, with the Pastels, he was—he really took us under his wing and, and
2: helped us, yes. actually
0: and then because obviously well not obviously but you know I sort of found out that sort of most bands have a five year kind of narrative of of sort of making a bit of a sound for the first couple of years and then doing the single and album and then Mm -hmm. after the tricky tour then the tricky second album things didn't sort of Particularly last for various reasons, and if anybody ever seems to tour America, it seemed to finish them off. But definitely, yeah, the second album we was. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> we never got that far. No, so, we never got to Britain. No. <laughs> but did you? I mean, you had a more of a three-year kind of period on with with the band. Did it? Did that sort of? Did you have a definite moment where you thought this is the end? To quote Jim Morrison. No, it
1: was more of a fizzling out, actually, especially. Um, you just don't know what's going to happen. and We didn't have any kind of gold standard. You know, The fact that we even brought out an EP was amazing. And then we recorded an album and then the whole thing just imploded. And for us, it just felt like you take one step forward and then there's about 10 steps back. And we were funding all this ourselves and we had no money. So, you know, I was working in a bar at the time. Every bit of money went on a rehearsal thing now. probably why we were so woefully under rehearsed we couldn't even afford to do that so it just felt like we barely had enough money to get through on the train to edinburgh to record the album so there was a big financial restriction on us and then when we made this album in the middle of january and december it was just freezing and you just felt cold all the time to then be told that actually all that effort was for nothing because actually the album was never going to come out because 53rd and 3rd went under, the whole cartel just went. So <clears throat> it was, that, I think that was just, that. you know, we just, and, you know, the relationship with Eugene and I was, was really struggling as well. So all that, it just felt like the end of an era, really. It just seemed to think like, the only thing that was vaguely keeping... Eugene and me together was the, the band, actually. And then it was just, I don't really want to keep this going anyway.
0: Yes. So, so was that, because obviously that's a huge emotional investment and, you know, just emotional investment as well as the time and the money. Was that kind of a heartbreaking moment when you decided... No, it was a
1: relief. It was a total relief because I was getting... Because we never really had enough money to rehearse. Going on stage was really... Difficult because I didn't have, you know, the skills as a guitarist, and you you just felt unprepared, and oh, the mistakes were just ghastly, and it just got worse and worse. (laughs) So it felt like a a great relief, actually, not to.
0: God. Yeah, I can imagine the exposure being on stage as well.
1: Yeah, ah, vulnerable.
0: The vulnerability, and I suppose the expectation of, the, of your sort of the crowd and fans just thinking, oh, this is a bit odd. But yeah. so did so. Um, so having put that to to one side, were you able to sort of move on quite jolly? You know, in a sort of like few, and the next period of your life was much better.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was well. well I wouldn't say it was much better. That's it was a natural progression. I had just graduated and um, got a job teaching, so I just kind of went on with life, tried to kind of put my creativity into something else. Um, and I didn't really enjoy teaching at all, but um, I needed to, to support myself. I had, you know, so that's that's why I ended up doing it for so long. You, you, I think teaching—you get, tra- you feel trapped. You think, well, if I'm, if I'm not doing this, you because it's such a specific degree. It's a degree in education, and if you, you say, I remember the day I walked in and said I'm leaving, and everyone was like, "What are you going to do?" And I said, "I don't know, but I just know I can't do this anymore." And it was a huge leap of faith for me actually to do that. But that was seven years, and it was on, and didn't make any music. Um for the, at least the first five. And then James Sinan, who was the bass player in the baselines, kept phoning me up and telling me to meet up with them and, and to do stuff. And I just had no will to do anything.
0: Yes, God. Creatively, you were spent, weren't you? But then, yeah. uh-huh. but, but then in 2006, you, you returned again to the stage to perform. And And during that time, you know, there must have been a lot more people sort of knocking on your door... <laughs> like me being quite irritated saying do you want to do an interview um yes no, because you... no not at all <laughs> well I was just thinking you know sort of having Kurt Cobain say it to always mentioning the Vaselines and and you know and you know people discovering the record name then realizing that the band had finished and thinking who are these band you know I just so when when you came back together in 2006 was that quite a, an emotional journey not
1: really I mean I had been working in with my own band, Suckle, for for a long time actually, and then I had so I had that, and then I had my a solo album that I'd written. and um, so it was with the time that we got back together as the Vaseline's, I was a two different person. I had actually not really progressed that much from three chords, but I knew how to play guitar a lot more confidently. I had written two albums myself. I'd worked with lots of different musicians. Um, so I was in a much, um, probably the right place to, to reform the Vaseline's, to be honest. And I remember the first rehearsal just thinking, I'd always said I would never do it. And then went to our first rehearsal and I came away. I had I just had such a good time. So funny. Just, it, it just felt this is what was missing when we were younger, just the, the confidence
0: actually so look i was just going to kind of ask you because it would be nice to sort of bring it up to almost the current day um just a little bit about yeah because then you yeah you had this very long period of kind of your solo work and projects yeah. and, and 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 that so i just would love to sort of hear a bit more about how that developed because you'd gone into teacher training for yeah, your, for that seven year, is it Saturn return kind of period?
1: Yes, absolutely, absolutely <laughs> yeah, you into astrology yes. yeah. that was exactly what it was actually we wrote a song called Saturn right. so that's, um, so I had a band, well I'd started doing some music with James, Sinan from the Vaselines and we, we had a kind of, it was a kind of electronic thing and then I started to just write other songs, that didn't really fit that kind of framework yes. and um, and I sent off some tapes because it was still the tapes time oh, yes. and uh, I sent a tape off to 4AD and Colin from 4AD got back to me he really loved it but didn't think it was suitable for 4AD but he had a smaller label called Detox Records and right. um, so we brought out an EP on that and uh, I got a phone call from John Peel, who, of course, I wasn't in, so it was the days when he got a phone message on your yes. answering machine <clears throat> saying that he wanted um, me to go in and do a, a session, a John Peel session. And he loved the song. Uh, it was a song called Symposium. And he thought he'd heard it before and wondered if it was a cover version, which it wasn't. It was a song I'd written myself. And so that's what we did. We... Um, it was it at the time it was just my sister and i and i think i think it might have just, just been james he came and and did some um, uh key keyboards and also um sort of drum machine yes and then uh, so we had the drum tool session and then not long after that james decided he didn't really want to sort of pursue that that was becoming more apparently obviously more important to me and so then I got a band together
2: yeah.
1: because the Delgados from Glasgow had asked us to support them. I didn't have a band.
2: <clears throat> <laughs>
1: Quickly, in a week, got a drummer and a bass player and we went off to Aberdeen and played a show. And then not long after that, Kemba Underground asked us to, to go into the studio. They didn't ask us to make an album. They just said, come into the studio and see what, what happens? And by that time I had, had a, a, a lovely girl playing bass for me and uh, we had a kind of line, an unusual line-up. We had a flute player and, yes. and a cellist as well. So that that that's really the, the sound of the first Suckle album. Mm. Um, quite quite a big, lush sound actually. Mm. Yes. And that was recorded at 10-19. And, and, mm?
0: and I was going to say that sort of had much more of a sort of, almost a, more of an organic vibe to it didn't it as well
1: yeah i mean some. Of it, i think we got a review once saying it was more like heroin rock which i quite liked so it was quite it was quite laid back and much more in keeping with my sort of saturn return and how i was engaged with music myself i was really into bands like low and things like that oh, and then yes. um, the rachels so it was, it was kind of that kind of vibe um then i had my son and things kind of cooled off a wee bit with the band and which resulted just in me recording a solo album.
0: Right. And this is Sunny which, Moon, isn't it?
1: Sunny Moon. So that just went from like, it's a huge band to just me and Julie McLarnon that, that recorded it. And we just brought in some musicians as and when required. And um and I haven't actually then the Ben Vaseline started up again. So and was it wasn't that actually when I was when I was doing a little tour with Sunny Moon that um, I phoned up Eugene to see if he wanted to do the tour with me, and that's really when um, we we started chatting about maybe just doing a couple of shows. Well, we didn't even chat about it. We never really spoke about it. It was a friend that phoned and Julie that th- that said, "Oh, you should you should do some stuff with Vaseline's and I was just thought, oh, "I'm not interested." <laughs> then Sub Pop were having their twentieth anniversary party and asked us if we'd play. And at the same time, a friend had asked to do a charity event, so we just um, that's how it all began again, really. Yes. so that um, kind of put my solo stuff into the back burner a bit.
0: Yes, and did and was it the case that you and Eugene hadn't seen each other for a while?
1: Uh, no, we, we we would see each other intermittently. Yes, there's always some Vaseline's business. <laughs> we always see the Vaseline's as like our, our kind of baby, yes. you know, so there was always something to have a discussion about, Um so. We hadn't fallen out or anything. It was just, I mean, I had three children by that point, so it was kind of busy.
2: Yeah,
0: absolutely. And so, when this is 2006, so when you sort of got back mm-hmm. and started to, um, yes, kind of hit the stage again, was there that kind of moment you thought, actually, this is quite fun? We could, we, yeah, we could. it was
1: the first rehearsal. We had Bob from Bill and Sebastian, Stevie, and um, yeah, Stevie and, oh God, the drummer's name, I can't remember They all helped out. They they were a backing band, if you like. These guys know how to play their instruments, so that. And, of course, I had obviously learned to play my instrument a little bit better. And a lot of these Vaseline songs we had never played live. So it actually felt like a new venture. It didn't feel like we were rehashing yes. old things because we never toured Dum Dum. We never did it. We'd broken up by the time it ever came out. So... A lot of the time, it was like like having to learn songs again, but playing them in a way that we had never envisioned. So yes. it was really exciting, actually.
0: It's interesting when bands have sort of tried to get back together and then had to listen to old tapes to work out mm-hmm. even, even what the lyrics yeah. were as well as yeah. the, the chord but changes. Definitely. So that was quite interesting. Because obviously mm-hmm. having sub-pop and you brought out that collection and compilation, didn't you, Enter yeah. the Vaseline's, which must have mm-hmm. felt... Because I know a lot of people who I've spoke to have kind of got their sort of, I suppose, archive their stuff. It gives mm-hmm. them a sort of a great sense of kind of... I don't know, not completion, but certainly a nice feeling of being kind of everything being tidied up for that one sort of period. That's right, and
1: that's only when I found out how Kurt Cobain had actually ever heard of the Vaseline's because it was through Calvin Johnson. He had taken our, because we did some shows with Speed Happening, and he had his radio show, and he had taken our EPs back to Olympia, and Kurt used to listen to his radio show, and Kurt. heard Molly's Lips and Son of a Gun and just absolutely loved it. I never knew that really until that we were putting out End to the Vaselines and spoke to Stephen about that. Yes. I always wondered how on earth they had heard <laughs>
0: Well, actually, hey, so I'd forgotten that because I'd done a couple. Of, I'd done an interview with two of the members of the Marine Girls, and again, they were oh, yeah. sort of one of those,
2: uh-huh.
0: you know, bands that uh, Kurt Cobain had said was in his mm-hmm. top fifty albums of all time. And I think again, it was Ke- I'd forgotten it was Kelvin who was in. Mm-hmm. Seemed yeah, to be he's the,
2: been a real. Yes. Uh huh. He is the Innovator. Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: So then, obviously, the the creative excitement was kind of happening, and you did sex with an ex.
2: Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> Because we, just...
1: we really didn't just want to sort of be a nostalgic band, we did want to, it, we felt uh, we have got songs to write and you know, I'd sort of sharpened my songwriting tools a little bit better and the writing came really, really easily, yes. it was really good fun as well.
0: And that came, and then when you, kind of a few years later, you did V for Vaselines, because that, mm-hmm. that's got a, quite a different vibe again, hasn't it?
1: That's right, and um, we, we recorded that with Tony Duggan, who really did push us to our own limits with in terms of what we could do, but um, it, he was brilliant in helping us see that, and we just wanted to make a kind of, a kind of rock album, actually, and... Uh, yeah, we were we were really I, both of you and I really pleased with that album, but it didn't really get that much kind of recognition. And it's like, well, okay, that's just the way things are. There are so many albums that come out every day, every week
0: yes. that
1: uh, you get you know five minutes of people going, oh yeah, that's good, and then it's what's next kind of thing
0: which is a, yeah i'm I'm yeah i didn't realize it you know i didn't know, know what the sort of bit, the general sort of business because i thought it was such a mm-hmm. sort of fantastic vibe and sound to mm-hmm. it and, and i love that kind of nod to uh the Transformer album kind of yeah. image as well, which obviously <laughs> appealed to people of a certain uh-huh. age who can remember uh-huh. those those fantastic mm-hmm. photos. We
1: always like to have a bit of a tongue in cheek <laughs> approach to our, uh, record sleeves as well. So
0: yeah, and were you you know with some of your solo stuff, were you kind of influenced by people like the Incredible String Band and those kind of kind oh, of more
1: yeah, uh-huh. uh, more kind of like, um I was listening to Nick Cave, but a bit Nick Cave, but more Nick the other Nick. Drake <laughs> <I can't remember. laughs> is it Nick Drake? Nick Drake, yes. <laughs> uh, um, stuff like that. I'd be, I was listening to at that time. Um, and Nico, I really love her stuff. So probably because it's a bit more low key. Yes. Than Vaseline's
2: you know, Absolutely. No, it's mm-hmm. it's
0: it's, it's just that when I was growing up, every you know, you'd one would read these kind of classic albums that you needed to listen to, and one was. The Hangman's Beautiful Daughter by the uh, Incredible String Band, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. I have to say I did always want to like and sort of, you mm-hmm. know, alongside Captain Beefheart's you know track mask replica and and probably Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys, but I, I have to see
1: yeah, I don't like Pets I don't like the Beach Boys and I really, really don't like Captain Beefheart.
0: <laughs> no, well, I I managed to do a bit of Captain Beefheart but I'm not s mm-hmm. i am not still haven't managed to work out why people love the No, Pet it's sounds not so no, I don't
1: I don't get it either. But you know, um, I think I I do kind of commit the holy sin by seeing the Beach Boys. I really get my nerves, to be honest.
0: <laughs> yes, I didn't. I never got it. And obviously, you know, a few years ago, you did a huge tour, didn't you? As well, you know, you almost played every day, uh, every day for a month. You know, that's through... right.
1: Yeah, that, I think I broke us, to be honest. It was in the middle of winter in America, and um, it was it was pretty hard going, actually. Three weeks, and I don't think we had. We think we had one night off, and by the time we finished, we we finished in LA, which was amazing because it was like felt like spring there because we'd been through the depths of the winter. It was like minus thirty in Chicago or something. And it was just I never felt so cold. So <laughs> um, that was pretty hard going actually. Yes. And we haven't really toured since. And I've actually said to you, I yeah, really don't want to do that again.
0: No, I think most bands that's that's a kind of a young person's game, isn't it, really? Yeah, definitely. I, th- definitely. I think, because I know from talking to a member of BIS, um, mm-hmm. I think they just do the odd gig when next suits yes, their uh-huh. two. Uh,
1: we, we like it this way, you know, we've got these two shows coming up and uh, it just keeps our, our hand in without having to commit to anything.
0: Yeah, and, and just kind of lastly, what are your sort of the plans? You know, you've got these concerts, but what are your plans for the next year or two?
1: We never have any plans. <laughs> we don't do plans.
0: Excellent.
1: We really just see what emerges. Yes. Um. Yeah. And the we Eugene's do- doing some more solo stuff. And, you know, I haven't even had time to sit down and write stuff. But I do have old songs that I've never put to an album or anything like that. So, you know, I might try and do something with that. Yes. But, oh, I know that um, because Dave Barker released really Um, Dum Dum for Record Store Day last year and I'm not a big fan of Record Store Day I have to say, Um, but he's asked if he could release Sunny Moon on vinyl for, uh, for, for Record Store Day so I might do some solo dates around that.
0: Excellent and what and after because you've had an amazing career and, and lots of different things. Do you like that? <laughs> no, but, but it's kind of you know it's also been quite Is fascinating. That
2: haphazard. It, it's,
0: I think most things are a little bit haphazard. From from people, uh-huh. everyone I talk to, it's like actually we just you know you look back and you think, God, we. If only we had a bit of a plan. But what, what would you kind of say to your kind of 18-year-old self? I mean, the kind of... And that's, you know, it's a bit of a tricky one because often people say, well, do you mean 18 now or 18 back then? But just kind of yes. th- those kind of things that you've learned that you thought, God, I, that would have been a really good thing to have just heard when I was kind of much younger, starting out in my career. Uh-huh. I
1: think what I... This, this thing I try and say to my own kids, and my, my son's nearly 18, it's like, believe in yourself and go for it because I didn't really, I I did it but I always was looking over my shoulder thinking I'm going to get caught out soon and eventually that lack of confidence kind of blew out anything that I wanted to do creatively for a long time actually and it was only down to lack of confidence, it wasn't anything other than that.
0: Yes that that great saying fake until you make it i suppose exactly exactly <laughs> i know you don't
1: want to be a cocky wee shit either you know there's a fine line <laughs>
0: yes i know Ar- arrogance is very hard to um like, I mean, arrogant uh-huh. people are just difficult. But yes, I'm I'm often mm-hmm. amazed how people, and I suppose, you know, someone who I loved was David Bowie from my, mm-hmm. that first single and first album. And and just amazed that he kept going, even yeah. during those periods when obviously everything must have been, you know, personally going badly and also mm-hmm. releasing albums that nobody wanted must have also been quite tricky, especially yeah. having had that commercial success and thinking, oh, no, I don't want it anymore, I'm going to do something mm-hmm. else. It must have taken such a lot of bravery if yeah. if, if I think it's
1: actually harder for bands that have had big success to then I was reading an early article about say Kaiser Chiefs and they sold the first album sold, dunno, say three million, the second album maybe a million and in terms of the record company that's a failure. But actually in terms of indie music that's actually amazing. Yes.
2: Um
1: so I think to, to make a big impact straight away is actually more difficult than just to do what we've done and just kind of mess around. For as long as you want. Nobody bothers you, you just get
0: on with it, really. Yes, well I have noticed with my obsession with the 80s indie bands the ones that have come back, they're quite happy playing in small little venues if not Yeah, yeah,
2: definitely.
0: And they're just kind of like we just don't want to give up our kind of day job and our Mm life for
2: Mm -hmm. this
0: music because it's great and it's a nice hobby because there's a woman called Amelia Fletcher who's um, who was in in Yes, and she still brings out records with these kind of different bands that she creates Mm -hmm. and she's a lecturer at the UEA here and -hmm. I just think it's great that, you know, that, that she seems to spend all her sort of weekends and, and part-time, um, spare time doing the music, but her day mm-hmm. job, obviously, is the one that she keeps kind of definitely yeah, ticking over uh-huh. and focused, and, and I, I think, think it's great. I,
1: I, I think that's one of the things that, that I, I'm... I would get bored if I just spent my time doing music. That's why I have so many other things on the go, yes. like studying astrology and teaching yoga and, you know, all this kind of stuff, because it's too... Uh, you, you get too angst-ridden if you're just wanting success in music because you don't really think that's possible no. the more you, you know, you just have to make music for the sake of it rather than think, right, this is gonna be my key to happiness or, or whatever because it certainly isn't.
0: Yes, and just okay, just, just lastly, did you on that because the other thing that trips people up is kind of publishing and ownership of music, did you manage to sort of navigate that relatively okay?
2: Not really,
1: no I'm, no is yeah. it uh, the answer <laughs> <laughs> uh no, oh, Not really, that's
0: always the dynamic isn't it? I know, I know,
1: Yes but Eugene you think have... it a bit better than me, but i I um, yeah, I listen to a lawyer, put it that way, oh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh dear oh uh-huh. never mind anyway look Francis. thank you ever so much for giving me the time for this interview and you're welcome I really appreciate it because I've mm-hmm. you know, realised that yes it's just really great and I'll tell you when I sort of put the piece out And that'd
1: be brilliant yeah. that'd be
0: fantastic but again thank right. you ever so much And, and uh, good luck yeah.
1: with your things take care okay bye bye
0: bye bye and that is the end of the interview and that was with uh Frances McGee of the Vaselines. And I do have to confess something which I've never done before on air. Halfway through that interview, she got a knock at the door and had to stop, and I had to phone her back the next day. So it does sound slightly disjointed than normal, but um, who knows? And frankly, who cares? But anyway, that's why there was a sudden jump in this sort of volume when I asked her another question. It was the following day. I know, those pesky people came round and... uh, She needed to go. Anyway, that's life. But a big thank you to Francis for giving me the time for that interview. This has been David East of The C86 Show. If you want to contact me, you can. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just go to at C86 Show. It's all there. And um, yes, keep it nice and positive. Otherwise, don't bother. Also, all these interviews have been um, archived. So you can find those on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes. Just do at C86 Show. That would be marvellous. Anyway, stay safe. Have a great week.